The audio you're about to hear was recorded in Anchor. Learn more at anchor.fm. Hey, this is Kristen from the Positive Psychology Podcast. And one thing I'm sure you've heard over and over again is this idea that if you want to be happy, it's not about a destination, but a process. And today I want to talk about something that makes this process really enjoyable and rewarding. And that's the unexpected benefits we get when we do things which are good for us. Now, let's say walking. I'm walking right now to work. And the reason that I originally did this was obviously, hey, um, you know, let's get some fresh air. It's good for me, blah, blah. But now you walk around and I walk around and I'm just like, oh, man, I just love how how I'm usually just so much happier. Um, I'm in such better mood than I sit if I sit in a bus with a lot of people who didn't want to get up early or the fact that I'm much more familiar, much more connected to the seasons, you know. Um, the thing is also that with nature, it's very easy to be like, oh, it's not wet, nice weather today. But for example, today it's overcast, it's warm. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I actually enjoy the variety. I enjoy the fact that it's not blisteringly hot like it was a couple of days ago. And I can enjoy the wind. And even when it's snowing and it's, you know, really cold outside, there's always something nice about walking to work. And that's what makes the process rewarding is all these benefits that nobody ever talks about because maybe because they either seem small or because they're not about the main goal. But that's the beauty of the process, that you just uncover new things all along the way. And this can happen at any moment. This can happen in the first few weeks, but it can also happen, you know, seven years after you've started doing something every day that you uncover something new. All right, go and have fun with the process. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye-bye. And I just wanted to tell you about something that happened at work today. Um, We got a couple of new people because uh, two teams were merged. And one of the team members of the formerly other team, uh, she, we, we used to work together a couple of years ago. So today I, I just kind of cut out the names of the new joiners and put them on the huddle board because we huddle. And, um, at some point she just said like, well, I'd like to thank Kristen for forgetting my name. And everybody thought that was a sarcastic comment, including me. I was like, oh shit. You know, she, she might think that I, I don't want her there or that I just, that she's not important enough or any of these kind of things. And it sounds crazy, but that's the kind of stuff we think, right? When things like that happen. But then afterwards she came to me and she put her, her, um, her hand in the small of my back and, and said very tenderly, you know, I think this is beautiful because it just shows me that, that you felt that I never left. And I was so touched and I just wanted to share that with you folks because that's precisely what I'm talking about. We, we make up stories all the time if we want to or not. And I just wanted to thank her for making the interpretation, making up the story that this was a good thing and not a bad thing. It brought both of us joy when it could have brought both of us just, you know, awkwardness and bad feelings. So I wanted to share that with you. All right, cheers. And today I wanted to talk about this interesting relationship that anger and values have. Now, a lot of times when people hear something like positive thinking or positive psychologists, they think that the goal is to eradicate certain negative emotions out of her life. And as I've said in previous segments, that's not actually the case because to 
to be able to enjoy the good emotions, we also have to go through the negative ones. What we can do is hopefully reduce that. Now, what is interesting about anger? A lot of times I hear people are saying like, oh, I don't know what my purpose in life is or my meaning in life. And, and I'm so angry. I don't know what to do about it. And this is interesting because I would urge you to pay attention to your anger. The thing is, the things that really, really piss us off are often connected to our values. So what do I mean by this? For example, um, if, if someone, you know, if, if things are really done in like a completely inefficient way that wastes everybody's time and, and energy, I get really, really pissed off. And the reason is that one of my values is to A, you know, respect people's time and energy, obviously, but also to do things in, in a, in a good way, you know, in a way that's efficient so that you can work smartly and not that you have to, um, you know, grind 19 hours a day because some idiot didn't bother to put proper systems in place. And these things are often connected to our strengths as well, which is interesting because some would say that our strengths, um, our, our character strengths are often our values and actions. So all these things go together. So if you think like, oh man, why am I suffering with this kind of anger? Anger is often the emotion that comes when we feel that we are thwarted. But what is thwarted? And whatever is thwarted is important to us. So that might be justice. It might be efficiency. It might be whatever you can think of. And pay attention to that. And then ask yourself, what kind of values are being violated here? And to what kind of strengths would I need to address this topic? All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, Kristen, it's Ryan. Just wanted to call in and say, uh, just listen to your segment there on anger. It's really great stuff. A lot of it resonated with me. I, I really enjoy that one. Keep up the good work. Good morning from New York. Love your segment on anger. Uh, hmm. Always, I guess, when you have feelings, you need to go back uh, to the thinking that uh, influenced you to get into that mood uh, or uh, trigger those feelings. And I think you bring up a very good point of saying, um, if my thinking or if I listen to something that does not... Uh, correspond to my set of values then my thinking on that will cause some level of anger uh, yeah good one liked it hey this is Kristen from the positive psychology podcast and today I want to talk about this idea that thoughts are like viruses and I don't mean bad viruses but that they are like viruses in terms of they can only stay alive if they spread and they spread wide they multiply fast so that's what I mean with ideas of viruses now how does that concern your happiness well the thing is that every time we engage with a thought even if we think um, it's something horrible and everybody has to know about it we basically multiply the virus and what that does is it crowds out um, the potential attention that people could have given to something else that's more helpful. 
A good example is politics, where、uh, people end up helping the person they do not want to help by constantly talking about what he or she did or did not do, and by doing that,、uh, it just takes away so much attention from the very causes and the very people who could actually. Fix the situation, and not just talking about fixing it, or just、uh, talking about how bad everything is. So I really want to encourage you to to understand your power, as Michelle Gielan says, as a broadcaster. All of us are broadcasters now, especially、um, since everybody has social media. So every little thing you share, think about whether it's worth to be shared. And if you don't share something,、um, think about well, is it really not worth sharing? Would you rather have more of this in the world or more of that? And then go and share whatever you think should be. We would have more of and would make a better world. All right. Cheers. Bye bye. Hey, this is Kristen from the Positive Psychology Podcast, and I wanted to talk about reciprocity. Reciprocity is one of these things that makes us be able to live together in a civilized manner. And what it means is that I do something for you, and you do something for me. Now, a lot of times when somebody does something kind to us, it is our instinct to repay them immediately. And that's a good pro-social instinct. However, think about this: if somebody does something unexpectedly nice for you and you repay them, say two or three days later, the the transaction—it's a horrible word, but that's the best, you know, the closest that I can come up with.、Um, the transaction is basically finished. All right, so. Today, I'd like you to consider this idea that whenever somebody does something unexpectedly nice for them, that you not only wait a little longer than you would to pay them back, so to speak, but that you actually do something unexpectedly nice, pretty much immediately for someone else who has nothing to do with this. What does this do? This creates like a chain of happiness, right? It, it, it creates a lot of people wanting to do a lot of good things. And if we all understand that that we don't want to finish that chain, but actually continue it by including other people, that can really make a huge difference. And if you think about it, this is actually、uh, the case. If you think about it, that's actually almost part of nature. We can never repay what our parents did for us simply by keeping us alive、um, and loving us to the best of、um, their abilities. We cannot pay them back for that,、uh, and I don't think we should. I think this is actually smart that we can't repay them, because what do we do? We end up nurturing other people, and that way we continue this chain of nurturance. And that's what I'd like to encourage you to start one of those chains and to talk about、uh, talk about this to other people when they are like, "Oh, what can I do for you?" It's like, you know what? For now, it would be really so much cooler if you did something for someone else who had nothing to do with this. All right, cheers, bye bye. Hey, this is Kristen from the Positive Psychology Podcast, and I just listened to a really good podcast、uh, called Strangers. I can recommend it. It is really great at 
making people see the stories of other people, uh, creating empathy. And right now, uh, the host, Leah Tao, is in the middle of kind of trying to uh, get her head around the divide in the United States. And she published a section where she's basically weeping into her phone because she noticed that she, she feels like, like there's no change, that, that what she did, that nobody changed their mind, nothing has happened, and how, how stupid megalomania can he be, for example, to try to um, single-handedly, that's what she said, uh, fix the divide. Now, this made me think of this idea that we can't necessarily, we can't or we shouldn't necessarily always take the outcome of our actions on our shoulders. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that you can, you know, fight what you consider to be the good fight, but in the end, uh, you can't influence, you can, you can influence, but you can't determine how many people will change their behavior based on what you do. You can only create the environment for people to kind of, you know, uh, see things in a different way. And I think people like Leah are precious in this world. I think we have to support them. But I also think we have to remind them that she can put out her podcast episodes. She can talk and empathize and be angry with them and do all of these things. But as she has realized, she cannot guarantee an outcome. And trying to kind of taking that guarantee on your shoulder is just a recipe for disaster. And that's also something that I think everybody who's trying to make a change in the world has to understand. Um, don't take that particular thing on your shoulder. Take responsibility in other areas, but not the pressure that other people actually change. All right. Talk to you later. And I just read once again um, this phrase, death to the ego, and I can't help but think that this is super, super selfish. Now, let me explain. Um, if we try to kill anything, whatever it is, it usually does not like being killed. So it will fight, and we will spend a lot of energy with that fight. Uh, I'd rather propose that we instead harness our ego so that it can help us achieve good things. That way, <laughs> we free up a lot of energy to give to the world instead of uh, some kind of weird, you know, gladiator battle inside of ourselves. All right, cheers, bye-bye. Hey, this is Kristen from the Positive Psychology Podcast. Speaking of battle metaphors, it is incredibly common to talk about, you know, our inner selves and how we wrestle with it and fight and storm fear and kick this in the ass and kick that in the ass. And I can't help but think that all that is very violent. And I don't understand how we can think that that works while also um, espousing values like self-acceptance, self-love, and self-care. Now, I'm not saying that we sometimes, that we have to uh, become aware of how we can override certain impulses that just want us to sleep and eat all day, maybe. But that's absolutely not the same as constantly being in some kind of battle with ourselves. 
If that's you, don't worry about that. Um, I just suggest that you try a different approach, um, an approach that mimics more likely how you approach the outside world. I assume you didn't make all your friends by punching them and belittling them and doing all these other things that we do to ourselves. So I suggest that you look at your most functioning relationships and then start treating yourself that way. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Today I want to talk about this idea that we're always looking for the the one thing that makes the biggest difference. Now obviously it makes sense to look for ways to be efficient, to save energy, and that's really hardwired into our DNA. Our ancestors could not afford to waste energy all the time, so we are kind of built to look for shortcuts and stuff. So that's no reason to blame ourselves. However, that makes us susceptible. It makes us susceptible to kind of wasting our time in a big 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 way. What do I mean by this? Um a good example from psychology is the that idea of self-esteem. It got very very popular I think in the 90s and people were like that's the one thing you have to instill in your children and then everybody started getting participation trophies and all the like. And the problem was that while self-esteem is important it's not the one and only thing that's important we are psychological and complex creatures and there's never going to be just one single thing that makes all the difference all the time now granted there are some concepts like for example growth mindset which are really really useful in a lot of circumstances however if we kind of just zone in on one of those and just pour all our energy into that chances are that we waste our time even more because as it will inevitably it will show that wait a minute that was not it and now we have all these kids who think they're super special and have low frustration tolerances right so i would really like to encourage you while um to to stay efficient to look for shortcuts absolutely but not to fall for this idea that like one or two things alone will sell, solve every problem in your life because if you're wrong with that you've wasted you know 10 15 years like folks have on self esteem all right cheers bye bye hey kristen i was wondering if you would like to say a word about your opinion of uh, mars briggs Uh, what do they call them? The six different uh, personality types. <laughs> I wonder uh, what's your opinion of that. Do you believe in uh, the test or no? Anyway, it's up to you. Have a good one. Today I'm going to answer Tzvi's question. Tzvi, my good man, thanks very much for calling in with this really interesting question. Now, the Myers-Briggs, for those of you who are not quite sure what Tzvi is talking about, is basically a test which you take and it will put you in a category and kind of um, tell you how you see the world. Now, when I studied psychology, the, the Myers-Briggs was actually not the most popular test uh the most popular personality test was something called the big 5 so that's um oh, this i'm pulling this from memory so it's um introversion extroversion i think and then um neuroticism uh, what what's the word so not not sociability likability something like that uh yeah i have to look up the other ones that i will see 
Um, and the reason is that that was more popular, that the Big Five is more popular than the Myers-Briggs is the fact that it, it's more valid from a scientific point of view. But what does that mean? That means that when, for example, the same person takes the same test, they always get the same results. And the Big Five is really strong. Um, it really, it really does well on that. Um, also, it kind of keeps the concepts really separate. That's also an indicator of scientific validity. So they don't suddenly get mixed up in each other and correlate with each other when they shouldn't. So in, in psychology, the Myers-Briggs is, at least in mainstream academic psychology, it's not as popular as it is in the rest of the world. Now, having said that, um, there's something to be said because I think if something gains popularity, even if the scientific validity is not necessarily always as strong as something else could be, Um, it indicates that it satisfies a need. And I think that's what Myers-Briggs probably does well, that people want to be categorized. Um, we have this strange relationship between wanting to be unique and wanting to belong. And there's just this dynamic which makes us somehow love it when we can put each other in boxes. And it helps people to accept who they are. When somebody sees, for example, oh, I'm this kind of introvert person and maybe I don't have to change that, maybe I just have to make the best out of that, I think that is really, really great. Um, on the flip side, I think sometimes if we, if we box ourselves that way, what can happen is that we limit ourselves and that we use it for excuses. And that can happen with any test, not just the Myers-Briggs. So, for example, I talk a lot about strengths tests, right? So, so people can just be like, well, this is not one of my strengths. So, so, you know, I don't care about it. And depending on the situation you're in, that's fine. You know, we, we have actually more choice than we sometimes think. And sometimes it is better to hand off tasks to other people who in turn love them. You know, a lot of things that we don't, we don't like other people love. So why not um, make the best out of it? However, sometimes there are just things that we need to do. And I think the moment we put ourselves in the situation where we're like, Hands off, I'm helpless, I can't do anything. I think personality tests are not that great. Now, having said that, um, I have been thinking of taking the Myers-Briggs myself, and I think this is like the tipping point. Now, um, I want to take it, and then I'll report back to you, because then I can give you a better, um, a better, more in-depth answer from the experiential point of view, because I haven't taken it for the reasons I described before. All right, thank you very much, and everybody else, if you have such cool questions like Tzvi, please phone me in. Cheers, bye-bye. Alright, little follow-up on the big five, which I couldn't all name by heart. So the five factors are openness to experience, conscientiousness, and then the things I mentioned, extroversion, agreeableness was the word I was looking for, and neuroticism. So the reason why this is super popular is that when people take tests, so when they, for example, ask, well, who... Um, displays the most humor, then, for example, they will see like, oh, those are people who are maybe open to experience or whatever it is, and, and it will give them clear answers. So that's why um, scientists love the Big Five, and the Big Five can explain more than any personality model um, we know of right now. Okay, cheers, bye-bye. And I wanted to talk about uh, working on things like kindness. Now, the interesting thing is that Sometimes it's easier to work indirectly in kindness. What do I mean? I am hurrying to work. You might hear it in my breath. I'm more out of breath than when I work normally. And 
the thing is that right now I'm super unlikely to be kind to anyone. That's not just me. That has been found in scientific studies as well. Why? Because I'm late. Can't afford to help anybody out right now. So there are many indirect ways in which we can increase the likelihood that the good behavior that is in us will be expressed. Not being late like I am today is one of them. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. As I promised this morning, I went ahead and took the Myers-Briggs test that um, Tzvi Weiss asked me about. And Tzvi, I have to say that I'm positively surprised. Now, let me go into a little bit of detail um, for those of you who are interested in the Myers-Briggs personality test and what it does. So... When I started out, I felt like the questions were very, very black and white. And I don't like that because I'm someone who behaves very differently. Let's say in a business context, I'm much more factual. All right. So I'm really interested in, all right, what do we actually have to do? But when it comes to the rest of my life, it's probably more natural for me to look at relationships and patterns. So I felt when I was doing it, well, not sure this sounds a little bit too black and white for me. Um, what I did like was they had a couple of questions in there where they said, what is the bigger compliment for you? Um, for example, being called compassionate or being called, uh, I don't know, conscientious or something was the other thing. I really liked that question and I think it's, um, a useful question for anybody who has to do with people because when we ask people, how, how do you see yourself? Um, we get a little bit of information. We know this might be true or may not be true, but we ask people, what's the bigger compliment to you? We see what they value regardless of where they're at or not. So that was interesting to me. Some of the choices, just for those of you who haven't taken the test is usually most of the time a choice between two words. Um, so some of them were very, very clear and others I can totally see myself when I'm, you know, three weeks um, ahead that I will click other, the other word because they were just close, to, um, close for me because they were, they just evoked memories of very different, um, uh, things that I did. So, so I can see how what I said this morning that it might not hold up if you do it in, um, in three weeks, for example, I can see for, especially for a couple of words, how that can be the case. They seem to be very concerned with schedules and whether you like to, you know, you enjoy parties or not. And I'm someone who likes to do schedules and I'm pretty organized, but on a weekend, I also like to be very intuitive and just do, um, whatever comes up. And I felt there's maybe not enough space for that. Now, having said that, um, if you're someone who is interested in these tests or you're maybe a, a recruiter or a boss or a coach or someone, I think, uh, these kind of tests are a brilliant way to get a lot of information about a person, but they also have to act as a springboard. So if I were you, I would ask people specifically, where did you feel that maybe um, you had to make a choice which does not necessarily reflect who you are because the other choice is very similar or something? I absolutely rec recommend doing that. Now, what I have to say is that I like the four dimensions that they have. So they have... Um, they break it up into how you direct and receive energy, how you take in information, how you make decisions, 
and how you relate to the outside world. Now, when it comes to um, directing and receiving energy, that seems very clear to me. Either you get it mostly from your inner world or from your outside world. And at least to me, this seems very true. I can see how someone who's less extreme might be like, well, wait a minute, I get energy out of both of, the, both of these things, so which one is it? Then when it comes to ta- taking in information, that's probably my biggest beef I have with this because they distinguish between what they call factual information, which is the five senses, mostly what do I see, what are the facts and facts right in front of me versus big picture and pattern thinking. But to me, a lot of um, the big picture and pattern thinking, which is called intuition within this test, for me, a lot of the information is based on my senses. So that's probably the biggest personal problem I have with the, with the MBTI, um, which is that I pay a lot of attention to my senses. I pay a lot of attention to people's facial expressions and all of that. And then I take that information and I run it through my internal, um, big picture thinking, my pattern thinking. So when it comes to the decision-making process, they distinguish between logic and personal and social values. And at least in my experience, that seems kind of, um, it seems intuitively right. It seems like there are some people who are incredibly analytical and, and, and not so much wrapped up in, in um, feelings and emotions. And then other people who are more like, uh, all right, so I... I, I run everything through my personal and social values. But again, a little bit similar to what I said about the information, uh, to me, a lot of my values also come from, from certain facts about the world. Uh, a good example is how, how I changed my way of approaching things. Now, I used to be pretty confrontational, and I don't mean as in picking fights. I, I never enjoyed fights. But when it came to debate, uh, I was super just like, you know what, this is logical, this makes sense, I don't care, this is dumb. <laughs> and and I thought the facts would speak for themselves. Now, I've learned over the years that that's an idealistic idea, that's usually not true, and that if people, if you can first get some common ground with people, the chances of reaching um, a solution are just so much bigger because people only open up once you give them a certain amount of love and respect. And, and that has fundamentally changed how I approach things. Now, what they say true is that one is more natural to you. So in this case, actually, maybe more logical stuff was more natural to me at some point. So again, if we try to make things, uh, you know, portray them like they're complete opposite I, opposites, I think that can be valuable. But as I'm talking you through this, I really hope that you understand the nuances, which, by the way, make psychology such a freaking awesome subject. I think, I think if these things were clear cut and I could just say yes, amen to all of them, I would not care about it as much as I do. Now, finally, they have the outside world where they look about how are you more of a planner and more of a spontaneous person. Again, I think this is fairly okay. But as I said at the beginning, how I act when I do my uh, in my spare time, not necessarily the same thing as how I do when I plan stuff for work. Now, when it comes to the results, I have to say that I'm super, super impressed. 
All right, so why am I impressed with the results? What I particularly like is that the the strength of each of these four dimensions comes on a scale. So it doesn't say like, oh, you're um, you know, an introvert or an extrovert. It says in this dimension, you have scored uh, a moderate um, N, for example, or a moderate F. And I like that. And I, why do I like that? That kind of speaks to what I said earlier, that some of these things were hard for me because it seemed like, well, there are just a lot of situations where I'm not like that. And that was reflected in my results. So in three out of the four dimensions, I got a moderate. So I was on one side, um, but it was only, uh, you know, like there's a slight and then there's moderate and then there's clear and very clear. Um, so that kind of shows that that I I do kind of tend towards the middle where I do appreciate what's happening on the other side of the spectrum. And the only one where it was very clear was with introversion, interestingly. So I have to say, I'm pretty ex- in- impressed with the result itself. Um, I feel incredibly reflected in what I see, and I'm fine with the fact that um, it doesn't necessarily acknowledge everything about it. But interestingly enough, it did actually include some things that I didn't expect to see. So, for example, um, I scored a very clear introvert. All right. Now, a lot of times people kind of seem to think like, oh, if you're very clearly an introvert, you are not someone who put themselves out there like I do on Anchor or in my podcasts or when I do... Um, uh, lectures in front of people. And, and the fact of the matter is I love it. I love talking in front of people when it, when it's about a, a topic that I care about. And they reflected that. So really, I'm impressed. I think the MBTI, um, is well deserved. Um, the, the, in the, yeah, the issues I've had, I've discussed this morning. I've discussed here very thoroughly. So Tzvi, thanks a lot for asking a super interesting question. Cheers. Bye bye. Hey, this is Kristen from the Positive Psychology Podcast, and I just wanted to take a minute to uh, voice a little bit of gratitude towards uh, one of my clients. Now, I'm obviously not going to say who this person is, but I got a wonderful email from her today where she described exactly how she worked through a super, super challenging situation at work, um, what she did to cope with it and how she processed it and how she'll move forward. And I don't know about you, but if you care for other people in any capacity, it can be because you're a parent or a a manager or, you know, you do something with psychology like I do. It doesn't matter. Uh, people sometimes think, oh, I want to be famous. It's, it's the greatest thing when people tell you how awesome you are. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the privileged situation that sometimes people tell me that I'm awesome. And while that's cool, I can swear to you and I tell you that nothing beats if you actually go and take whoever, whoever's, uh, learnings you consume. It doesn't matter who it is. And you actually implement what you're taught and it works out. Now, granted, I want to hear if it doesn't work out either because I want to get better at 
helping my clients and helping you, whoever is listening, um, working through challenging situations in your life. So I'm not one of those who's like, oh, I only care about it if it works out well. But this person absolutely made my day because she showed me why she was super, super capable as a human before she met me. I don't even want to take all the credit. It's like so cool when you see like little things that that you you train together and then people use it and their life gets better. And so for that reason, please, by all means, take things, do something with it. And then report back because that, my friends, is the absolute best feeling. It's not people telling you that you're awesome. Cheers, bye-bye. The audio you just heard was recorded in Anchor. Learn more at anchor.fm. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. 